this gift that you've given us of your love. May we build our lives on your love. May we rest in your love. May this time be a time of us being filled up with your love and and compelled to share that joy that we have when we discover how much you love us with the whole world. God, we thank you for this time that we have. We cherish it. We, We hold closely to one another and to you. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. Please have a seat. Extreme church makeover. Now, are there, I was just going to ask, does anybody else like air conditioning? Anybody else? Just check in. Just wanted to see if you should get rid of that during our extreme church makeover. Is that like, is that an option? That's, let's keep it. Is there an, is there an air, HVAC contractor in the congregation right now? Raise your hand if you are. Where? Where? Right there. Can you please stand? Can we give him a, a round of applause? Just like, thank you. Thank you. That is like, we love you. We love you. <laughs> yes, yes, we love you so much. Uh, thank you so much. Um, thank you, Jesus, for this man who is, who is, brings, <laughs> saves people. You know, like our, we call them saints, people who worshiped a hundred years ago because they had no air conditioning. That's why we call them saints. That's the reason. You've wondered, right? Um, but that's not the reason. That's not, it's because, uh, because of God's love. That's it. There's no other reason to be called a saint, really. It's just God's choice. God, God just grabs people's hearts. No one, I know, it does that to me too. Yes, thank you very much, Blake. He preaches sometimes too, occasionally. So we're starting this series called Extreme Church Makeover, and this, this, this idea is to, to ride through the summer with this, this, this vision of, of God remaking our church. And I love what Ben talked about. He said, it's not, we're not tearing the thing down. It's when you go in and, and do a makeover of a place, you, you actually just, just, just kind of spruce it up a little bit. You, you, you build on the good bones. You build on the good frame. And so what we're going to be doing here is, is dreaming about what God would do in our church. And, and, uh, and we had this crazy idea that we'll do this series. And at the end of it, August 26th, we'll have maybe 10 of you, maybe 50, maybe 100 of, of the people from the congregation, maybe 200 people from other churches. Who knows? They'll come here and they will spend one day, a Saturday of all things. Can you believe that? a whole Saturday, and work together and transform this building into something that we haven't seen before. We don't know what God is going to do. And so this last week, a team met together and started to, to talk about what, what might happen during this one day. Have you ever seen an Amish? Do you know what an Amish barn raising is? You know, like, have you heard about that? They get together in one day. I'm not kidding you. And they build a barn in one day. They put the whole thing up bigger than this. It's very coordinated. It's very complex. And the other thing that we should not fail to recognize is that every single one of them is probably a licensed contractor. So, you know, this is a little unfair. But so the team got together and they had a couple projects on the table. And so they threw out these, these are some, some like ideas, right? Like, and so, so here's some ideas of what could happen during this extreme church makeover on a, a Saturday, August 26th. Okay, here's just a simple one. Rotate and expand the entire worship space, right? So the whole space, or in one day we could uh, do a whole new patio or a welcome area. Maybe that's one idea. Maybe renovate the cafe, completely renovate the cap. Maybe update the children's rooms. Maybe updating the exterior of the building, complete like refacing of the building so that, and then improving the church offices. And the idea is like, you know, just, just if people start to see that there's transformation happening here, they think, well, what's happening in their hearts that's making that happen? That a hundred people would go and spend their time together doing things like this. And, 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 and if that's what's happening there, 
oh no, what's going to be happening in the rest of the city? What is this church going to do with the neighborhoods and with the schools and with all of the other places? And so this, this, this simple little meeting took place with a few people. There was an elder and a staff members and there were some members of the congregation. And as you can imagine, they came away from this meeting feeling like, this is totally impossible. <laughs> this is the craziest idea. And is it going to, is, there, there's no way we could do this. I mean, just to get the uh, permits alone. <laughs> And then, I think God put them in exactly the place that God wants them to be. And God puts us in exactly the place that God wants us to be. In a place, understanding that this church is going to be whatever God wants it to be. That whatever happens on that day, whether it's this stuff or other stuff or whatever it is, the real powerful thing that will be happening is people stepping out on faith, signing up, saying, hey, I'm going to serve. I'm going to be a part of that thing. That's the real transformation. That's the testimony. It's not, it's not exactly what happens. And, and then what happens is all stuff that we give to God because we say, you know what? This isn't about what we can do. This is about what God can do in that time. And suddenly, you're not really filled with this sense of, oh my goodness, is this even possible? You're just kind of say, okay, we'll see day by day, step by step, meeting by meeting. We'll see what God does. We'll see if people sign up next Sunday when we invite them to be a part of it. We'll see what happens the next day. We'll see how this, how this thing comes to be. Does that sound good? So that's the extreme church makeover concept. And, uh, and a great place for us to start in this conversation about this is in the book of Romans. Uh, and the book of Romans has a reputation uh, that is like no other book in the Bible. It, it has done some miraculous things in people's lives. This is what a great theologian once said, F.F. Bruce. He said these words, In the course of Christian history, the book of Romans has liberated the minds of men brought them back to an understanding of the essential gospel of Christ, and started spiritual revolutions. Now that guy could write a blurb for anything and I would read it. I mean, that sounds amazing. But he's not making it up. He's not just trying to sell you on the book. He's actually telling the truth. For example, there was a guy named Augustine in the year 386. This is a huge figure in Christian history. Augustine, grown man, is under a tree and he's crying. He's just crying because he realized that his life is not what his life is supposed to be, that he's done so many wrong things in his life, and so he's crying under a tree. And do you know what happens? He hears a little boy. Here's a little boy say these words. He says, take it up and read, which is kind of a weird thing for a little boy to be saying or singing or whatever. And he doesn't hear it as a little boy's voice. He actually thinks God is speaking to him through that little boy. So he goes over to a Bible, and he opens up the Bible, and can you guess what book he opens up to? Romans, that's right. And good, that's going to be the answer for the next three questions. So I'll just lead you up. The book of Romans. And he encounters this amazing God and this beautiful God and this God that can be encountered just through faith. Then, 1,500 years later, we have this man named, not Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. That's another guy. 1,500 years later, in the year 1517, there's a guy named Martin Luther, and he is teaching his schoolroom, his class. He's teaching them about Jesus from the book of Romans. He says, I'll just innocently read from this book. I'm going to teach him whatever. So he starts reading it, and the, he's, a, he's a really smart guy. He knows almost everything about the Bible. And while he's reading Romans, he realizes that the church has had it all wrong. That the church, that the church had this kind of notion that getting to God was like climbing up the rungs of a ladder. Like, people had started to develop this idea that, that, that you know, if, if you get closer to God by getting higher, 
And then, and then if you miss a rung, then you go down a little bit and you mess up, you go down the ladder and God's up here and we're down here. That, that's what he had been taught as a little boy. But he realizes that Romans is really, really helping him to understand that actually it is not about, this whole story, this whole thing is not about our perfection. It's about God's perfection. It's about how right God is. We call that the righteousness of God. And he realizes that, that the righteousness of God through the mercy, God doesn't, doesn't hurt us, through the mercy, God loves us still. And through the grace of God, just continually loving us, pouring out loving things into our life, even though we're not full of love. Through that, we experience righteousness. We become right by one thing, faith. And his whole entire life was changed. This is what he said about reading the book of Romans. Martin Luther said, and it's not 517, it's 1517. He said these words, Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. Isn't that beautiful? So with that said, um, just curious, is there any book that you'd like to read today? Uh, Oh, okay, why not? Let's just jump into it and see what happens. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to read, book, read, read from Romans. And um, this is what Paul says. He's talking, about, he's talking about faith. He's talking about how, do you, how are you saved. He's talking about being made right. And this is what he says. He says, so it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who shows mercy. Now, by the way, this may be enough scripture for any one of us today. Maybe God brought you here today to just hear this one little piece that it does not depend on human will or exertion. It's not about climbing the ladder. It's not about climbing the ladder. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, but it depends on God. It's all about God, what God's going to do. We already talked about that, right? God who shows mercy. Then he goes on to say, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, now remember, Pharaoh is this, Pharaoh is Pharaoh, and he was this guy who said to Moses and the Israelites, I will not let you go. You are going to be my slaves forever. I'm never going to let you go. And God would keep continually, continually destroying his whole entire country and saying, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? This is what it says. It says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, I have raised you up. God says, I have raised you up for the very purpose of showing my power in you so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear anything else from God. That's what I want to hear. I have raised you up. I have raised you up for the very purpose of showing my power in you so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Even in Pharaoh's deepest, darkest, most broken attitude, God had sovereign power and was able to, to show how perfect God was. So then it says, God has mercy on whomever he chooses and he hardens the heart of whomever he chooses. Have you ever had people say, why does God do weird things? Have you ever had someone say that to you? Like, why is God so weird? I mean, they're like, if I was God, I would do it differently. Which by the way, is a little bit of an arrogant thing to say. <laughs> like, oh, I can do God much better than God. Okay. Um, but then he goes on to say this. He says, you will, you will say to me then, why then does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Right? If God is perfect, if God can just give anybody faith, if God can just show everybody how perfect he is right away, and you have no response but to love him, then why doesn't he do that? But indeed, who indeed are you, a human being to argue with God? 
Will, what is molded? Now think of a little clay figurine, you know, a little statue or a little bowl. And I love this. He's, it's like a cartoon in Paul's mind. Will what is molded say to the one who molds it, why have you made me like this? Wouldn't that be weird? You're just like shaping this thing. And it turns out, why have you made me like this? It's telling you, it's a weird cartoon in Paul's mind. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one object for special use and another for ordinary? Make a bowl or make a, you know, whatever it is, a, a special vase for flowers. Now, I love this image that Paul gives us of the potter in the clay. It, do you guys remember claymation? Did anybody wa- like claymation? I mean, it's always a little, it's always a little like, I don't know, rough looking, but it's cool still because you know that it's like little clay figurines that people have like shaped and then taken pictures and, and they move, they, they morph. What's that, what's that famous cartoon from England that's... Gumby, Gumby. Name another one. There's another one with a dog and a something. See, you guys know claymation. I was just testing you. I know all those things. So... <laughs> So, so, so the claymation, what, what this scripture is saying is like God is like the claymation animator of our life. That every follicle of our hair, every, every atom, every molecule, God is the claymation, claymation animator. That God molds us and shapes us, our hearts, our minds, our souls. Now, a lot of people, this is the big stumbling block in their faith. They run into this and they say, I don't think I can go any further because honestly, uh, what? But yeah, they don't get this. They, nobody gets it, trust me. Nobody gets it, really. But it's not meant to, to big, be a big burden in your life. It's meant to be a, by the way, let God do God's work. And if God's the one who's doing it, then we should have this great sense of peace, not a sense of angst about what we're hearing about God. Okay, do you remember this song? Did this song create anxiety in your childhood? Now, this image should remind you of what song I'm talking about. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, sing it with me. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. I started a little low. There you go. That's good. The whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Now, is that a song that makes you really upset and just worried and feel full of angst? That's a song that just fills me with like tons of peace. He's got this little church in his hands. (laughs) He's got this whole Paso Robles, and that doesn't work really, but do you know what I mean? He's, 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 got, he's got all this extreme church makeover, blah, 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 everything is in his hands, in the hands of God. Now listen how Paul continues. I just love, 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 love Romans. This is good stuff. All right, you ready for it? You're, gonna get a, you're about to drink from a fire hydrant of goodness right now. You ready? Listen to this. Paul says, now he's hypothesizing here. Remember, pay attention. He's not saying, this is how it is. He's saying, he's like helping you imagine, okay? This is a creative landscape here. This is what Paul says. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience the objects of wrath that are made for destruction? And what if he has done so in order to make known the riches of his glory for the objects of his mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for his glory, including us whom he has called Wait, who, wait, we didn't decide to be his followers? You mean that he called us? They said, hey, hey, I'm choosing you. That's what God's saying here. Whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. By the way, how, show of hands, how many people are Jewish in here? Right, it's not only, there's one person. There, it's just not only Jewish people in here. Big surprise, it's Jewish people and it's Gentiles. Isn't that amazing? 
That God hasn't chosen just from one little group of people. He's chosen all people. He's chosen all people. Now, but listen, listen to this here. There's some more. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. God is expanding his love, right? And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. I'm going to love people who are unlovable. <laughs> in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called children of the living God. That's the adoption. You have no, no parent, no, no family, and suddenly you're part of a family. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. I love this crying of Isaiah. This is pain, people. Though the number of the children of Israel were like the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will, be, will execute his sentence on the earth quickly and decisively. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left survivors to us, we would have fared like Sodom and been made like Gomorrah. The idea is without Jesus, this whole place would have been blown up in an A-bomb 50 years ago or more than that a long time ago. There would be nothing. But by God's grace, we're here. It's a miracle that we're here. We are so destructive. We are so, we are so bent on destruction headed toward death, but look what God has done. Wow. The Lord had hosted, it goes on to say, what then are we to say? Gentiles who did not strive for righteousness, we didn't live perfect lives, but yet we've attained righteousness through God's rightness, not ours, through faith. Look at that. We have attained it. That is righteousness through faith. That's the big point. But Israel, this group of people who did strive for righteousness that is based on the law, they tried to climb the ladder, climb the ladder, worked hard, climbed the ladder, but they did not succeed in fulfilling the law. Fulfilling the law. They could never get to the top of the ladder. Why not? Because they did not strive for it on the basis of faith. See, faith, faith, faith is... George Michael, if he was here today, he would sing a song. I would have that man sing a song. Faith, the faith, the faith. Thank you, George. <sighs> Come on, you guys like George Michael, don't you? You love, you're Christians, you love everybody. You, George Michael is that man. But it, laughter is another form of uh, assent. It's like saying, yes, I agree. That's what it is. Why not? <laughs> Paul says it right there, right? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? Because they did not strive for it on the basis of faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it was written. See, I am laying in Zion a stone that will make people stumble. What? A rock that will make them fall, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. What? Why would Paul refer to Jesus as a stumbling stone? I don't go up to people and say, I really want to tell you about Jesus. He's going to make you trip and fall. That's not, that's not how I think about Jesus, ever, ever. But that's what scripture teaches Paul and Paul just reminds us that's what God has always said Jesus is going to be for us. He's going to make us trip and fall. What? Why would you say that, Paul? Now, I used to do backpacking years ago and uh, it was like forced backpacking because my dad would make me do it. But, um, but I always pretend like it was my idea because it's amazing. You cover all this ground, you travel tons of miles, you have a big pack. So you, have a good, you always have a big fish story to tell at the end of it, right? It's cool. But at the end of every day, like when you've backpacked as far as you can, you got a 40-pound pack, probably was only 20, but it's a big fish story. It's a 50-pound pack, and you have this huge pack on your back, 
And then you start to walk, and, you, and after a while on the trail, you feel like, I got this. I got this. I, I mean, I've seen about five hours worth of trail. It all kind of looks the same. I get where the bumps are. I get where the turns are. And I, I just like to look around and just appreciate the world around me. And so you start looking around, and what happens? You stumble. You hit a stumbling block. You run into it. Now, this is really interesting. I don't think that the reason you hit the stumbling block is because your legs are tired. I think it's because your mind is tired. I think it's because you're taking your eyes off the trail. I think it's really deeper, deeper, deeper down, more about the fact that we think we have it all together. When we think we've got this, we think we've figured it out. We feel like we know what's about to happen. It's kind of a way of saying, taking control from God, isn't it? By saying, hey, yeah, yeah, we've got this figured out. We know what's about to happen, God. We know what extreme church makeover looks like. We have the plans for it. We came up with five ideas. Those ideas, that's what's going to happen, God. Boy, that's a quick way to run into the stumbling block of Jesus. It could be anything. I don't care if extreme church makeover is a huge potluck. Doesn't that sound good? Bunch of beans. Everybody makes beans. Let's bring them down. Let's have some. And boy, that, <laughs> that would be a different kind of holy, holy wind. <laughs> Just saying, just saying. But the presence of God would be there, and it would be in the fellowship. Okay, okay. Life, when you feel like you have it all together, that is the most dangerous part of your entire life. When you think you have it figured out, and I'm speaking from personal experience, I know this. I remember going to a professor in seminary, and I said, I said, I just read Romans and I realized that the consequences of sin is death. And why, why would I ever sin again? I don't think I'm ever going to sin again. And my professor looked across the table and said, I'll see you tomorrow. After you do some sinning, we'll talk again. <laughs> don't ever act like you have it all figured out because you don't. You just don't. So do you know this thing called trust falls? Do you know what the trust fall is? Trust, okay, this is what it looks like. Youth get together. They, they do this on youth trips because youth are crazy. And so, so the person stands at the end um, on a high thing, and then they have all their friends stand behind them. And I would be so scared to do this with other kids, wouldn't you? I mean, like, <laughs> most likely to drop? Yes. Um, so, so you close your eyes, you cross your arms like this, and you just fall backward and have someone catch you. Now, I think they should call this a faith fall. Because actually... To, tr to, to really trust that your friends will catch you is just to stand there. You don't really need to do the falling. That's just trust. You're just like, oh, okay, whatever. I trust that you'll catch me. Now I'm going to get down. But to, to have faith is to actually fall backward. Close your eyes and fall backward. That is demonstrating faith. That is demonstrating faith. Imagine for a moment a corporate retreat of Apple. This is an imaginary scenario. A corporate retreat of Apple and they have all the CEOs and all the people who have worked 20, 30 years at the company, and they get together, and it's time to do the faith fall exercise. But they've invited a bunch of people in off of the streets, okay? And they invite all these people in off of the streets, and uh, they all get a chance to participate in the faith fall. And one by one, they do it, and a bunch of the people who've been there for 20, 30 years, some of the CEOs, they don't do the faith fall because they just say, I trust you, it's fine. And then all the people who come in off the street say, oh yeah, what? Faith fall? Love this thing. It's crazy. Let me do it. And then they just fall back, and, and then they do it. And then imagine they get together at the end of it, and they say, I want to tell you something. All those people who did the faith fall, 
are part of this company. And all the people who didn't, uh, even, if you haven't, even if you've worked here for 20 years, 30 years, you're just not going to be a part of this team anymore. But, but why? I've been climbing that ladder. I've been working so hard. I've been doing so many things. I've, I've, been, I've been trying to achieve in life. I've been so good. I've been so, do you hear that? I've been so good. I am so good. I'm so great. Do you hear that? Like, <laughs> that little demon that climbs in there that, that tells us that we're so good and we're so great. You know what? That's the best way to make sure that we don't have faith. Start relying on ourself. There's a big difference between self-confidence and confidence in the love of Jesus Christ, placing our love. Now, how strange is it that, that you, the firmest foundation in this whole entire universe, the strongest foundation is not on top of a mountain because mountains crumble. I just saw a documentary yesterday about the Rockies. They're falling apart. Maybe you learned something right there. The firmest foundation is not on a concrete slab. It's not on the earth. It's all dust. All of it. Even, even your friends are dust. Even, even your family members, they, they are not the firmest foundation in this world. But the, the, firmest, the firmest foundation, the strongest foundation is strangely the thing that you can't see. It's the love of Jesus Christ. It's the love of God. Imagine yourself walking along, feeling completely in control. And then suddenly you encounter this stumbling block of Jesus and it causes you to fall forward. And in that moment, you have the opportunity to say and panic, I will catch myself. I will lean in. I will do whatever I can to make sure that I right myself again. Or you can land on the firm foundation of God's love, like a great big embrace that comes not toward you because you've earned your way toward it or not because you have the greatest credentials or because you have the greatest plans in the world, but just by way of God's mercy and grace and love. And so Extreme Church Makeover is not about what we can do, right? It's about what? What God can do. It's about what God can do. And as you hear this message, I really want you to hear this also. Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing. You can't just read, by the way, Romans and just read one sentence and build your whole theology on it. You, we've got to dig through this thing. I don't want you to walk away and say, I heard that first sermon on the Romans because there's so much more to understand about God's extreme church makeover in our life that we will be chipping away at over the summer so that we have a complete, more complete understanding. When you have faith, a mustard seed of faith. Not a lot of faith. You don't have to have some mountaintop faith and fall backward into some weird trust fall. It's, all you need is the littlest bit of faith. But faith is action and action takes you places. And so if you've ever had faith, if you've ever had that experience, that relationship, that foundation of Jesus Christ, that will never be taken away from you. I just want you to understand that. That's not what we're talking about, falling in and out of the grace of Jesus Christ. Once you encounter it, once you experience it, it's there forever never gone. Isn't that good news? Let's stand and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for what you have done in our life. You've, you've, um, you've actually uh, caused us to, to recognize how weak we are and to how prone to danger we are and how, how likely we are to, to completely 
destroy everything in ourselves. And yet, Lord, um, you catch us. That you're there just saying, come fall into my arms. Let me mold you. Let me shape you. Let me create you into something beautiful. So God, we pray that, that this extreme church makeover would be one that is truly making over the soul of our congregation. Just doing those little refurbishments, those little updates that will help us to better reflect your love in this community, to welcome more people into worship, to welcome people into your grace and mercy as, as we minister to the poor and the needy of this community. And we, we, we enter those schools and start to care for those young people and let them know how much you love them. So we praise you, Jesus, and we thank you so much, and we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.